Hello friends, my name is Patrick Little and welcome to A Little History. In our first season titled A Mythology Apology. Each week I'll be bringing you stories from various mythologies and folklore from around the world. These stories can be some of the most iconic tales we've known and some of them are just really weird and obscure. So join me each week as I present this to you alongside a lot of shit talking, some weird segues and some weird silly sound effects. You're listening to A Little History. Who immediately made her their queen. As a cow. No, as a human. Unfortunately, he trips on a tangled root and kind of knocks himself out. <laughs> so he's a horse mechanic and he's a son of a god. He's a horse mechanic. I didn't need a freaking story about making pies, man. I know how to make a bloody pie. I've caught you the deathless. <laughs> give me the fucking ball and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to give Gilgamesh a piece of my mind. <laughs> Sorry. Plexipus. Homeless Gandalf without a beard. I'm not going to help you at this point, but what you should do is you should leave your silver snuff box with us for us to remember you by. <laughs> silver snuff box. And she uh, she starts cursing Gilgamesh, being like, fuck you, Gilgamesh, piece of shit. So here heads back to Mycenae with Cassandra the concubine. <laughs> is that what she's known as? And one job to do, mate. One <laughs> fucking job. Don't look in the closet. I'm glad I got your attention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to A Little History. Uh, we've got a little treat for you today. It's uh, Pat solo time. So uh, it's just you and me today. No guests, no need for guests. They just get in the way. So I'm going to present to you today a, uh, a, per- a portion, the first part of a very famous Germanic uh, epic poem titled The Nibelungen Lied, or translated to The Song of the Nibelungs. So this will be presented to you in a uh, sort of multi-part uh, episode, just sort of shorter episodes. We'll see how they go, um, and I'll, I'll present them to you throughout the season. So uh, some of you may already be familiar with the story or a version of the story uh, from that absolutely terrible film uh, titled The Ring or Ring of the Nimbalungs that was released in 2005. And wow, that movie was a tough slog, uh, which was weird because it had some really great acting stock in there, including the likes of the late uh, Max von Sydow, uh, Julian Sands, uh, Alicia Witt, Samuel West, and uh, a very young Robert Pattinson. But uh, big acting stock. The talent's there, but boy, that movie sucked. Uh, uh, but if you don't know the story, um, you would at least have heard of some of the music that was inspired or by it. Uh, by the likes of Richard Wagner. Uh, parts of it featured in Disney's Fantasia movies. Uh, the whole Flight of the Valkyries. You know, dun 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 you know that crazy like uh, can uh, chop a f- uh, the the chopper in uh, assault scene from Apocalypse Now fucking crazy cool that was well that's the song that's the music that that is is associated with this sort of story uh, so if you've seen the opera footage also of people running around with Viking helmets on with plaited blonde hair and 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 shit like that that's what I'm talking about that's 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 the, the style that we're on. 
Anyway, but you know, if you've been living under a rock and none of that rings a bell to you, don't worry. I'm here to tell you all about what goes down in this Germanic epic poem. Now, the thing is, we know next to nothing about the author of the Nibelungenlied. Uh, it's most likely written around 1200 AD uh, and stems from oral tradition. So much like the Greek myths uh, that we have heard about in previous episodes, um, this story you know, stems from far further in the past. So in this case, uh, it's believed that this tale sort of tracks back to the 5th and 6th centuries um, AD. So you look at about 600 years or so it was sort of bumping around. People were telling stories at the, at the, you know, around the campfire or in public spaces, about six hundred years before it was written down. So, you know, it's there's there's a little bit of wiggle room for for different versions of it and all that. But why don't we get stuck into it, shall we? Oh, uh, and uh, I'm going off the 1999 translation by Margaret Armer. If anybody's uh, playing at home. All right. So concerning the Nibelungs. So I'm actually going to read through this story as is, and uh, and we'll go from that. So timelines might be a little bit interesting, but hey, we'll make up where we can. So our story begins in the land of Burgundy. It's like modern day, think like think like around Bavaria, like in the southern parts of Germany. It's a really nice, beautiful country. It's a, it's I've been there. It's delicious. It's very fun. Uh, within the realm of Burgundy lives the fair maiden named Kriemhild. Now, Kriemhild is quite the catch. In no land you could find anyone fairer. She's an absolute banger. She's strong-willed, she doesn't have an issue speaking her mind, and on top of that, she's a princess. But she's also a hard girl to get to, you see, as she's guarded by her three brothers. You've got Gunther, who's the king of Burgundy, and also her younger brothers, Gernot and Giselhir. Now, they're all the best sorts of knights as well, the ones who uphold the, the, the code of chivalry and all that. So think like, you know, what, a, what you think of when you think of like a valiant knight out of all the stories. That's what these guys are, that's what these guys are all about. Now, their mother's name is Uta, and she, obviously being a queen, is rich she, and regal. Now, their father, was, his name was Dankrat, but uh, he's dead now. But he was also, he was known as being a mighty warrior and people worshipped him. He was, he was apparently the bee's knees. So the three brothers, uh, they are lords over the best host of knights, it says. Of note being, uh, you know, the, the, the big warriors or the great warriors are Hagan, you've got Dankwart, you've got Ortwin and Volker. Now, there's a whole ton of other uh blokes in their retinue but uh, i'll just name them when they come up because there's there's a shit ton of them well so what i'm trying to say is or paint what the picture is is that burgundy's got it going on they got hot royals valiant knights a splendid place where you know everyone's just walking around going ha ha how good are we it's like that's it there and just smell their own farts and comment about how great it is so yeah it's 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 a it's a pretty like they think it's a pretty awesome place to be but one night at Creamhild, she has a bad dream. In this dream, she was fondling a falcon. So take that as you will. Uh, a, and a bunch of eagles come and wrestle the falcon away and tear it to pieces. And then she was the saddest she's ever been. And Creamhild, still feeling a bit glum the next day, she tells her mother Uta all about the dream. And Uta interprets the dream, because she can do that, and says... The falcon that thou sawest is a noble man. Of course she'd say that. Like, she wouldn't be like, why were you humping a friggin' 
Why were you up in a falcon in your dreams, love? Tell me, tell me stories. Uh, but no, she says the the falcon that you saw and fondled uh, was a was a noble man. Hello. And Uta goes on to say that this noble man will be taken from her, and there's no way that she can be with him. So shot down immediately. And Creamhield's like, Oh shit, that sounds terrible. Um, I've heard of a few women who've paid a shit price for love. Mm, count me out. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna do my solo thing. I don't want to get hurt. Now nah, fuck that. Not for me. Not for me. And Ulta responds, "The greatest thing on earth is the love of a man, <laughs> and that she'd make a great wife." Now, first of all, I don't know what Ulta's on about, but shout out to Dankrat, the, the dead, her dead husband, because he must have been packing some heat. Look what she's saying: "The greatest thing on earth is the love of a man." Come on, Uta. You've got to go get some hobbies or something, girl. Like, uh, <laughs> but by the way, you get an idea about um, who this uh, who this uh, this nameless anonymous author was of this epic poem as well, but with with lines like that. The writers were all men. But anyway, Uta says that all all they have to do is wait for this guy to rock up to their place, and uh, it'll be easy. They, they could, you can have him. But Creamhild, she still pushes back, saying, No, to love is to then no sorrow, and I'm not subscribing to that. No thanks. Bye. So she's basically saying, Look, I, I don't want to love anybody if I'm going to know the sorrow of losing them after. So she basically just like packs up and she, she decides to run solo. She does her own thing and she seeks no husband and just continues, continues being generally awesome and just inspiring awe and love from, from the people. Now shoot over to another part of uh, of this 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 vast land. Now in the Netherlands there lives a rich king's son. His father is King Sigmund, and his mother is Queen Sigling, and they live and rule together in a castle called Zantin, which sits further down the River Rhine. And their son's name is Siegfried. Hello. He's strong and valiant. A body without blemish. And he's like super famous, even outside his borders. Like this guy is Sploosh City and the ladies love him. Uh, his father, Sigmund, saw that Siegfried was gay, was, you know, was well educated and turned out to, uh, you know, and wanted to make sure he turned out to have a good character. So Sigmund did a good job for his son and he was right and noble in bringing up. So don't worry, people, no Commodus is up in this bitch. Uh, Look it up if you need to. Commodus was appalling as a ruler. Now, when he reaches manhood, so like, you know, 14, <laughs> something like that, uh, he rides to court and is seen by the people. And, you know, married wives and virgins alike, they're all like, Oh, mate, you should just stick around for a little bit so I can sit on your face. You are some hot stuff. Uh, but Sigmund and, uh, and, and Siglind... Uh, Sigling, sorry, they, uh, they're having none of that shit for their son. They have bigger ideas. Like, this kid's destined to rule. So, you know, they order that Siegfried be uh, accompanied by wise men uh, versed in honour so that he might gain his own retinue and acquire lands. So, like, the wise men, you can't help but think of, like, people walking around, like, you know, reciting uh, great verses and, and, and the theological discussions. I can't help but think of, like, you know, the Dead Poet Society. Like, people just being, you know... Just, just walking around uh, spouting some virtuous shit. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's weird because, like, Siegfried's supposed to inherit the castle's Antine anyway, eventually, isn't he? Like, being, the, you know, the king's son. But, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, Siegfried, he's young, he's handsome, he's rich, 
and he's capable as a fighter. And he's like, nah, I'm pretty good just trying to pick up chicks for a while, actually. Um, and uh, and the females, don't worry, they're happy, happy to have him journey down this path. Uh, so Sigmund's like, ah, fuck, mate. You're supposed to be a virtuous or virtuous and shit. Like, you're pretty virtuous, but you could probably be more. That's it. All right, you're about the age to be knighted. I'm going to knight you with some randoms. You know, 400 randoms. Why not? 400 randoms. Done. And Sigmund sends word to all the kingdoms in reach. To friends and strangers alike, he invites them to a thing called a high tide and lavishes them with horses and apparel. Now, this high tide is kind of like just like a big feast uh, with you know, jousting and all that shit. So this high tide is a big deal because uh, Siegfried walks out uh, of this this event with 400 sordid knights, all dressed to the nines in vests lined with like precious stones and shit. So it's like pimp my knights. Like there's a lot of dudes and they're all looking good. It's a big, big occasion. A lot of like 400 blokes get their chance to, you know, become knights and, 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 and do all that and serve Siegfried. So Siegfried and his 400 knights, uh, 400, sorry, swordsmen are dubbed knights. So they're now knights and there's a huge party for seven days. Feasting, tourneys, like jousting and, and like feats of, uh, you know, arms and all that. It, it happens. It's a great time. And in the end, Sigmund gives Siegfried some other lands and castles. So good on him. Siegfried, he's, he's having a good time. Now at this time as well, Sigling, she goes around giving red gold, uh, it's just like a type of gold, uh, to the guests, to all the guests that are there, just to make sure that everyone's 100% on board to have Siegfried as their prince and, you know, to one day rule in the end. And of course, everyone is down for that. Uh, that is everybody but Siegfried. Now, Siegfried loves his parents dearly, but he has no desire to rule. He just wants to do what he's good at. He's excelling in strength and might and doing knightly shit. He wants to do... That's what he's about. He just wants to be chivalrous and do everything that's that's required of a knight. Now, we've got a little quote here from the text as well, uh, just about, you know, what, what kind of bloke we're dealing with. Quote, Greatly was he feared in the land, nor durst any chide him. For from the day he bears, he rested not from strife. Year in far countries, and for all time, his strong hand won him glory. End quote. So you basically sit there and go like, this guy, you know, he doesn't stop. He's he's good at what he does. And so like the, the, the what would you say? Like the, the proclamation to the world is like, Siegfried's coming, bitches. He's coming. So watch out. So while he's coming, we're going to quickly go. And have a quick little ad break. And we'll be back soon to see just what Siegfried does with his newfound, uh, you know, gusto. I think, you know, gusto. You'd say he's a sworn knight. He's got 400 blokes with him. He's acquired some new lands and shit. But, you know, he doesn't care about that. He just wants to be an awesome knight and do awesome shit. So let's see what he's up to. Back soon. we're back so uh we've just gotten to the point where siegfried has become knighted and he's got 400 sworn knights dressed to the nines pimp my knights all that shit he's ready to go so siegfried is just chilling in his lands when he hears word of a fair maiden from burgundy uh the fair pin uh, the fair princess kriemhild now 
word of her virtue and just how awesome she is and uh, has just has reached far and wide because Siegfried is quite a fair way away from Burgundy. But the word spreads nonetheless. And it's most likely because Creamhild is just like, nah, I'm not going to marry anybody. I cannot be had. So, you know, obviously most blokes would be like, oh, I'm going to go and try and get that. So, you know, anyway, so, so her, 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 her myth, her renown has grown throughout the lands because she won't marry and because she's awesome anyway. You know, word spreads to Siegfried's ears. And, uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's interested. He's interested. So many a suitor had come to her lands in quest to marry the beautiful maiden, and many had failed. For Creamhild was still happy doing her own thing. And, uh, you know, she's not letting any falcons happen. Nothing like that. She doesn't want no sorrow. Doesn't want any of that. So the stories which reach Siegfried's ears strum the right chord in the prince. Because he falls in love with her, like immediately, like from afar. Um, without seeing her, Without meeting her, he he's just like, just like snap, in love, and he he yearns to marry marry the uh, the fair maiden, and Siegfried's mates they're like rightly so they're like, uh, whoa mate, hold up, hold up, hold up, you know who her dad is, right? Like Creamhild's part of a pretty powerful kingdom, uh, plus she's got three power, uh, three brothers, you know, Gunther, Gernot, and Gisel here, like, mm, like, and all their other mates, all, all the knights beneath, like protecting her and, and serving them uh maybe have a little bit close like a look just a little bit closer to home for for a bride hey try that on uh but Siegfried he's uh, absolutely smitten by Creamhild uh by now and he replies that it would it would basically be pointless for him to seek any other uh for that would be measureless to Creamhild in every way and uh you go mate you haven't even seen her yet I mean that's that's pretty it's a pretty sweet line like uh, that's cool, but like, mate, haven't even seen or met this girl, uh, and yet she's measureless uh, to anybody else. Like, all right, mate. Uh, yep, yep, cool. So news of Siegfried's desires uh, reaches the ears of his very own parents, and they're like, holy shit, this kid's going to get himself killed. We know what Gunther, Gernot, and Gissel here are capable of. Uh, these guys and their men are no slouches. Oh, Siegfried's going to start some shit. So Sigmund and Sigling... Uh, also try to dissuade Siegfried from his desire. But Siegfried's he's resolute, saying, I will think no more of women at all, or I will marry Creamhild. That's it. That's two options. That's what I'm doing. So there's like no change in this kid's mind. Like he's set. He's set. He's young as well. So, you know, he's brash. He wants it. Sigmund, he's bummed by this news, of course. Uh, but he, you know, he comes around and he goes, all right, all right, all right. If your mother and I can't change your mind, uh, then we'll do what we can to help you out again. Uh, we're pretty worried about Gunther and his and his knights, though, because uh, as, as I was sort of referring or you know issuing to, they're, they're no slashes, they're no pushovers. Like uh, there's some pretty badass dudes there. But Siegfried replies, "Don't worry, Mum and Dad. Would I win not from asking in a friendly way? I'll take by my prowess of my hand, as in I'll." I'll fight for it, yes. Uh, I'll even strip Gunther of his lands and his liegemen. As well as it, it needs be. Like, I'll do it. I'll fight him. I'll take his shit. <laughs> if he needs it. If needs be, I'll take it. I'll take it all. And you go, yeah, yeah, mate. That'll go down well with uh, with Creamhild, like, her brother. Like, hey, thanks for taking all my uh, my brothers uh, and, and in, in turn, my shit. Uh, you're awesome, mate. Uh, but Sigmund, he's like, shit, mate. Uh, don't let people hear you talking uh, stuff like that. Uh, or you'll have tra- some trouble from Gunther's peeps before, like, sooner than you think. 
uh, how about you muster your warriors and then march with them to Gunther's lands just for a bit of protection? And Siegfried's like, nah, I'm good, Dad. I don't really want to win Crittenhild's hand that way. I'll just go with like a dozen dozen mates and uh, win a hand uh, with my own hand. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck are you thinking, Siegfried? Like going off into a foreign kingdom uh, to get a bride and, you know, fight them if needs be. Uh, if they say no, and all you're doing is just taking 12 blokes with you. Like, what are you thinking? Like, what's the thought process there? But he's young, he's brash, and he's in love. And this must be what Sigling is is thinking, because she's pretty worried about her her only son uh, going off into the world and all its dangers, uh, and, and she starts crying. And Siegfried goes to her saying, Don't cry, Mum, I'll be fine. Hey, um, do you think you can make me and my me and my, my twelve mates uh, some really nice clothes to take to Burgundy, so you can so I can look you know really schmick, look really nice? And Sigling should be like, what? The the, the princely clothes you have already aren't good enough. Jeez, I'm not a fucking factory, am I? Da, you bloody buff off of me, and then you do you want me to make you some shit? Ah, you bloody ungrateful shit. Uh, but she doesn't do any of that. No, no, she's uh, she's uh, pretty much uh, she pretty much mirrors what Sigmund said, uh, her husband, and uh, and saying that she can't if she can't dissuade Siegfried, uh, then she'll help him out. And she she puts herself and all her handmaidens to work, stitching up some wondrous clothing for Siegfried and his mates. And she definitely has to be thinking like this has to be going through her head. She's like, this fucking cream hill chick better be worth it. Oh, she better be what people say more because I'm tired. This clothes are pretty th- difficult to make, and I don't want to be making them. My only, my only boy, my only boy's living. Uh, but while this is happening, Sigmund also is having, uh, he's, he's putting himself in some men to work. Uh, he's having some new armor forged as well, uh, kitting out Siegfried and his mates so that, uh, you know, he might bring some extra honor to, uh, to his lands, to his kingdom. And with that, Siegfried and his merry men, or merry band of knights, head off, bidding farewell to the loved ones. Uh, in case they might never return. And on the morning of the seventh day, after their departure, Siegfried's Rough Riders arrive in Gunther's t- country, approaching the city of Worms on the Rhine, which is where Kriemhild and Gunther and, and, and all these guys are. So all the locals along the way are starstruck by the sight of Siegfried and his band, uh, all shiny and splendid. Every small village they had crossed through everyone just went bug fucked because this group looks so awesome and and and, and wondrous they were like oh my god look at this guy just can't even look at him so as the band arrives in worms even gunther's soldiers were like holy shit oh you guys look awesome uh, come let me take let me take your stuff for you let me let me get you guys settled in and sig uh and they assist siegfried's group uh to unpack and uh, and they go to move the horses. They seem to take them to the stables and you know, have them brushed down and, and fed and all that. And Siegfried's like, "Don't bother with that. No, no, no. I don't plan on staying very long, and I may need to fuck off quickly. Uh, can someone tell me where to find King Gunther? Like, where's he at?" And you'd have to think like Gunther's soldiers, like at least a few of them, might be a little bit suspicious of uh, of something. Because you know, typically you ride a long way. You want to you want to stick about. If you're like, hey, uh, by the way, just keep it running because I may I may need to jet off real fucking quick. Uh, in case uh, no, I, I don't know why, but I might have to. But they're like, mm, okay, like that's fine. We'll, we'll keep the horses here for you. And one soldier answers, and he goes, "Oh, you can see the king if you want. He's in the great hall, surrounded by brave warriors." I have to warn you, though, he's pretty impressed uh, by shiny things, though. 
We'll get to that. Uh, in the Great Hall, Gunther is told about the group's arrival, and uh, he has a peep through the windows, and he gets a massive bling boner. Bling boner. Like huge. Uh, when he sees Siegfried and his crew, he can't get enough of, this shine, of the shiny newness of this equipment. And that's where I have to stop for one second and be like, all right, he sees this shiny group of blokes, you know, new armor, new everything, as if he'd give a fuck about that. Like, he's a mighty warrior king. Like, he's a knight himself. He wouldn't know that it's all about merit and, uh, you know, you have to prove yourself as a fighter to get your renown and all that. He wouldn't give a shit how shiny his stuff is. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. It's all about how you use your equipment. And all that, so I'm just I'm just calling bullshit on that one. But you know, this story, Gunther's, uh, you know, his bling boner is too strong, and he can't help but love what he's seen. And he was only frustrated because nobody in Burgundy knew who this group was and who their leader was. They're like, this guy, these guys are absolute strangers in Burgundy. What's going on? And uh, you're telling me that nobody knows the Kingdom of Netherlands or King Sigmund or Queen Sigling. All that they have a son who's apparently awesome at everything. I mean, come on. Like, this is me just going a bit off. I mean, you think all these places still kind of know each other. I think they just don't know them from sight by sight. They, they don't know who these guys are up front. Uh, so anyway, uh, Ortwin of Metz, who's one of uh, King Gunther's court uh, and a gunfighter, uh, is like, we should totally get my Uncle Hagen, who's also a gunfighter, uh, to find out who these people are and where they come from. Uh, he knows all the lands and all the, all the mighty men and shit. So we should get Hagen for sure. Uh, so the king sends for Hagen. Um, how about trying to go down and ask Siegfried who he is like beforehand? Maybe maybe try that on. But I think that's it's more about security for uh, for for Gunther at this point. They don't want to be letting anybody in or getting close to to anybody without kind of vetting them out. So Hagen rocks up and he looks at the group and he's like, "Yeah, they look pretty schmick, but that doesn't look like any wares that you'd find in Burgundy. Uh, no shit, because nobody knows these guys." Uh, <laughs> Uh, they've got all this cool shit and good horses. They must be princes, or at least envoys to princes. So, come to think of it, I've heard of the Prince Siegfried, because he's pretty awesome. Never never met him, though. But I'd wager that the leader of that group, probably Siegfried. So great were his deeds that now some new adventure must bring him here. And, he, he, and Hagen starts running off his mouth all the stories that Siegfried uh, exploits. Uh, that has made it to Burgundy, because he's a pretty famous guy, remember? Uh, and, and, you know, these stories are too important not to mention. So Hagen goes on to tell Gunther about how Siegfried had come across the Nimbalung princes, Shilbung and Nibelung, and a bunch of their men when Siegfried was out riding one day. Now, just a little side note, the, the Nibelungs, they're described differently in various other stories, uh, you know, from Scandinavian, uh, some Norse, uh, you know, Germanic and, and stuff like that. But for the purposes of this story, we'll consider them to be, you know, either a race of dwarves or elf or like a mixture of both, like a, like a bit of a community. But we'll leave it at that. It's a little bit vague about these guys. So Siegfried had found them surrounding a massive hoard of treasure being brought forth from a hole uh, in, the, in a mountain by the Nimbalung men. Now, Siegfried matched Gunther for bling boners bling uh, at the side of all this treasure. And, uh, and and he drew closer. He just kind of, you know, 
made his way slowly closer. And one of the Nibelung soldiers called out, or calls out to, uh, to welcome Siegfried. He goes, welcome Siegfried, the hero of the Netherlands. And Siegfried's like, ah, uh, mate, don't mind if I do come a little bit closer, boys. <laughs> Uh, because, uh, yeah, yeah, and the princes, uh, Shilvong and uh, Nibelung, welcome Siegfried as well to the group, and they because they had a problem, they uh, they were worried, they 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 need Siegfried's help, and they beg Siegfried to help him by dividing up the hoard of treasure that they're bringing out of this mountain evenly. And you're like, what? <laughs> Why do they need help from the outsider about how to divvy up their own shit? Um, but whatever, the prince, uh, and, and, and it's a big job because the princes offer the sword Balmung as payment to, uh, to Siegfried. Now, this is a big deal because this sword was known, was, you know, it's in the Nibelung uh, prince's family. Like it was their father's sword. It's known as the sword of the Nibelungs. So it's a big deal. And, and for just for counting a few coins and rubies and shit, they're going to give away one of their family heirlooms. Like this is a big deal. Now, there was a shit ton of treasure there, like a, a huge amount. Like Hagen describes there being more precious stones than 100 double wagons could carry. Uh, so just like, you know, picture, like, pit, just picture like a sedan. Picture more than 100 of them just like packed with, with precious jewels and all that. And even more of an, of an amount of like the red Nibelung gold. So like, it's a pretty valuable hoard. Uh, now the story after that uh, gets a little bit vague about Siegfried's attempts to to help him out because you know whether Siegfried was a little bit too serious about his job and sort of you know really looking to count the pennies and all that, or he was a little bit of a dodgy dude, uh, we're not quite sure. But shit turns south pretty quickly, and the Nibelungs fall on Siegfried, and they're they're, they're all pretty much dispatched uh, very quickly by our <coughs> hero. Um, <laughs> Siegfried, he's a pretty badass fighter. Anyway, but with the sword Balmung in his hand, he's just like boss mode. And he kills like the prince's 12 champions, as in the Nibelung prince's like 12 champions, who were like stark giants, like massive dudes, and like a further 700 Nibelung knights, uh, along with the two princes themselves. So you're like, hold on, like, fucking Siegfried, you went nuts, mate. Like, whoa. And after that huge slaughter that the... the Massive victory by Siegfried. Uh, many Nibelung lands and uh, and castles were taken by Siegfried because people were like, "Fuck, this guy's unstoppable." I can't. No, just take it. Just take it. Just take it. We we relent. Uh, now, not quite everyone though. Now, there's there there was a dwarf named Alberic, and he was he was pretty bummed, pretty annoyed uh, that his master and so many of his people he knew lay dead or dispossessed. So he sought for revenge. to avenge his comrades but Siegfried sweeps him aside like real fucking easy and then races uh races Albrecht back to the mountain where they apparently run or race like lions back to the Nibelung treasure to where that was being excavated but Siegfried being awesome uh wins this race quote unquote like, you know inverted like fingers up and race uh and he manages to grab from Albrecht the cloud cloak a cloak of invisibility and other stuff as well. It's a handy thing to have, this cloak. Now, with this final act, Siegfried becomes the lord of the Nibelung treasure. And he's like, I don't want this stuff just laying around. Uh, put this shit back in the mountain. So 
The treasure was packed away back in the mountain and Siegfried makes Alberic the treasure's keeper. Because, you know, before that, level, when uh, Siegfried uh, defeated Alberic and, and won him in that race or beat him in that race, uh, Alberic had sworn an oath to serve Siegfried after, uh, you know, after, well, after that for the end of his days. So these are his deeds, says Hagen. A bolder knight there never was. Though, I'll tell you one more story, though. I used to do a dragon as well. And you're like, what? A dragon? How is this not the story you'd lead with? You're like, oh, that guy over there, he looks pretty splendid and all that. Yeah, yeah he killed a dragon. Uh, enough said. Where's your mic drop moment right there? Everyone should be like, fuck, a dragon. Shit. And uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, uh, Hagen, he's like, yeah, he killed a dragon all by himself. And he bathed in the dragon's blood. So, yeah. Um, so now he's got skin as hard as horn. So no weapon can cut him. And plenty of people have tried and, and they failed as well. So this, this kid's impenetrable. Now, I just, just, I just have to stop you there for one tick, and we'll, we'll roll back to, uh, you know, why were Siegfried's parents, as in Sigmund and Sigling, so worried about Siegfried going after the head of Kriemhild? Like, this guy is clearly capable of looking after himself. I mean, you're off, like, 700-plus Nibelungs, their princes, a couple of giants. You, you're off a giant... Uh, sorry, you're off a dragon by yourself. You've now got skin that's, you know, you, you, that can't be cut. Like, this guy's fine at, look, at taking care of himself. Uh, I think they're going a little bit overboard with the worry worries. Like, I know he's, he's their only son, but come on, guys. Like, this guy, he's, he's fine. Hagen then says, uh, we should welcome this guy so he doesn't, like, get pissed off with pillages and shit. Uh, plus, he's pretty. He's a pretty good-looking guy. I mean, have a look at him. Like, you've heard all the girls splooshing, you know, over him and his mates since they've come into our borders. I'm pretty sure nobody's going to hate this guy because he looks so good. And Gunther's like, all right then, let us welcome them. He does look pretty kingly down there waiting. Uh, plus, I've got to see this bling up close. And you got to think he's, uh, he's saying this while he's like awkwardly shifting his bling boner, just trying to, trying to conceal it as much as he can. Yeah, he's just shifting his bling boner again. Uh, Hagen, he replies, yes, this is a good idea. Because I, I, I came up with it. Uh, he is of high birth and a great king's son. Surely there is no ill intent behind him coming here. His mission must be very important. You're like, yeah, like a fucking king's, a, a ruler or a son or descendant of a ruler, a person in power has never done anything bad. Like, sound reasoning there, Hagen. Gunther Rose ready to go down to see the prince uh, from the Netherlands. And he exclaims, he is welcome to Burgundy, for I foresee that he'll do well here. And so Gunther, Hagen, and the rest of his court head down to greet Siegfried and his companions. And now what happens next? Oh, you'll have to wait for part two. Or you can just Google it if you see if you can. Um, now, we've dipped our toes into this epic tale, but we haven't even touched the surface. So we've got a kid in love. Uh, Krimhild, who's not going to marry anybody except for her falcon. I wonder who the falcon is. And then you've got you've got Siegfried. He's got you know he's impenetrable to to weapons and shit. And he's just brash. He's going to do some shit. And uh, Gunther, Gunther and his men, uh, you know they they're going to protect the Krimhild if they have to. But they've got they've got stuff of their own. They've got designs. I mean, there's there's stuff going on here. So. This story has much more to go. It's a big, big tale. So join me next time, and uh, as as we continue this completely whacked out tale, awesome. And uh, as always, like us, share us, tell us to your mates, 
because uh, it really it really makes me happy and you want to make me happy don't you right we'll see you next time for part two of the nibble lungan lead okay bye for now thanks for listening to a little history uh, we're an independent podcast so it would truly be wonderful if you could uh, like or follow us wherever you're hearing a little history today uh, and feel free to leave a comment below as well. Now, if you want to get in touch, uh, have any suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to send in your love, send it to a littlehistorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under a little history podcast. All right, we'll see you next time.